And just adding to that is that all the marketing is so sneaky. Processed foods and 80% of foods marketed to kids have added sugar in them. And a lot of times these foods are really deceptively labeled. So they'll say things like whole grains or rich in calcium or high in fiber, high in protein. And then they've got all these added sugars. Hi, I'm Sarah Kuhn. Welcome to the Juno Women podcast, where I sit down for candid conversations with women who are experts in their field and share their specific knowledge so that we can become better equipped to handle all things motherhood. Juno Women is an extension of Juna, a fitness and nutrition app created to help guide you through your trying to conceive, pregnancy, and motherhood journey. Everything we do at Juna is designed to empower and support you through one of the most incredible and challenging times of your life. Today, I'm talking to Michael Gorin and Emily Ventura, co-authors of the book, Sugar Proof, How Sugar is Silently Damaging Your Child's Health. We talk about how the conversation around sugar has changed over the years, the best type of sugar to consume, and Emily and Michael share their seven strategies for sugar-proofing your life. This is a really informative episode backed with a ton of research. I hope you enjoy. Michael and Emily, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. I'm really excited to have you. Thanks for having us, Sarah. Yeah. Why don't you you. start by introducing yourselves and just telling us a little bit about your areas of expertise and the name of your book. I'm sure that'll get in there. (laughs) Go for it, Emily. So I'm Emily Ventura, co-author of Sugar Proof along with Michael, and I am a nutrition educator, a recipe developer, and a mother of two boys who are now six and nine. And I worked for a number of years in the community, and I also worked in research. I worked in Michael's lab when I was doing my graduate work, and you know, I learned all about how these different dietary patterns are impacting kids, both in the short and long term. And then it all hit home when I became a mom, and I learned just how tricky this is to navigate and get so much conflicting advice. Your pediatrician may be saying one thing, you're confused when you're at the store. And so it's been really a big motivation for this, me collaborating with Michael on this book is to try and simplify things for fellow moms, make things easier and bring some of the science home in in an easy to digest format. Yep. Yeah. And hi, everybody. I'm Michael Gorin. I am a professor of pediatrics at Children's Hospital in Los Angeles, which is also affiliated with the University of Southern California. I've been, I've been doing research on nutrition and children and its effects for over 30 years and been at USC or Children's Hospital for over 20 years. So this is something I've been pretty dedicated and passionate on for a long time and wanted to write the book to get the information out there to as many people as possible because we do all this research and frankly, not a lot of people read the research papers, but the stuff that we're doing research on is has a lot of practical implications for families everywhere and so we wanted to accelerate the knowledge and put useful tips out there so yeah i'm also i'm a father of two people who (laughs) used to be children when's at 16 she's technically still a child but she's 16 and the other one's 19 and in college the job is done and i'm keeping my my fingers crossed (laughs) I feel yeah. Okay, so let's dive right into it. Then what is the problem with sugar, like high level? High level is that we're consuming a lot more of it. Kids are consuming more of it. 
not just more sugar, but different types of sugar, including sweeteners. And that all those different sugars and in different formats, a lot of liquid sugar didn't used to be a thing. And that really the combination of that, more sugar, different forms, different types of sugars, is affecting kids in multiple different ways beyond just what they weigh, what the growth is, multiple effects on the body. Some of them long lasting, some of them pretty silent effects that you might not even know about, but they're there and they accumulate over time. And there's something pretty easy we can do about it to try and mitigate that. So that was what I would say. What about you, Emily? What's your high level? Pitch. Exactly. And just adding to that is that all the marketing is so sneaky. 70% of processed foods and 80% of foods marketed to kids have added sugar in them. And a lot of times these foods are really deceptively labeled. So they'll say things like whole grains or rich in calcium or high in fiber, high in protein. And then they've got all these added sugars under so many different names, you need more than 200. So it's, you're busy, you're in a store, you just want the best thing for your child. You quickly grab something that you think is healthy. And then you don't realize as you know, that in all these quote unquote healthy foods, all this added sugar is starting to pile up and the kids don't even feel like they've had dessert, but they've had a granola bar. They've had a fruit roll. They've had a squeezable yogurt and they may have had a popsicle and those things all may have seemed relatively healthy, but they've just amassed a huge amount of sugar in the daily diet. Yeah. So we just try and make things really simple and then give some alternatives for things that either you can buy or you can make at home. Not, not for eliminating sugar. That's I true. Think, Glad you said that. Yeah. Well, uh, we're, you know, it's, we don't think that's really the way to go, but we can reduce it and uh, any amount of reduction is going to be beneficial. Yeah, exactly. And I think that's so much part of our approach is trying to strike that balance where kids can still enjoy foods at parties, sometimes sweets at home too, and just still have the freedom to be kids, but they're able to moderate their own choices as they grow. And then also as a family, just rethinking the staple foods that you have in your own home. I want to back up because for our listeners, many of which are pregnant, some of them are early postpartum and breastfeeding, but I think it's really important because a lot of people will take the opportunity during pregnancy because they're like, they've either been dieting their entire life. And now they're like, oh my God, I finally get to eat what, you know, cause I'm going to be gaining weight anyway. And so I think like we have a lot of our whole approach as being as healthy and, and very nutrition-based. But I think I would love for you to talk about how this starts in pregnancy, like how their preferences can start to begin like in the first 10 weeks. So there's an impact to the your baby when you're pregnant. I'd love people to hear what like what's really going on. Yeah, that's such an important point. In fact, an early version of the book was just focused on that issue or yeah. those early impacts. So that's a great focus. So yeah, and it does begin early. So sugar, it does cross the placenta to develop need sugar. So there's that. So we're not, again, we're not saying babies don't need sugar, but excess sugar can be harmful to the developing fetus starting in neutral and studies have shown that in terms of developing greater obesity or developing earlier onset of sweet taste preference. Complicated by the fact that babies are born with this preference for sweetness, which is supposed to be protective to favor breast milk and mm. favor seeking of good calories. 
but that can be heightened by greater exposure to sugar in in utero. So there's definitely a inadvertent transmission to the fetus that can be problematic. So again, not saying, oh, you're pregnant, you can't have sugar. It's okay, maybe try to be aware of that. Another important thing to talk about is two, two important things. One is to do with sweeteners. Very clear evidence, multiple studies now showing that consumption of diet sodas during pregnancy can increase the risk of obesity in the offspring quite dramatically starting early. And so this is an issue because clinically, it's still a practice clinically for women with gestational diabetes to be recommended to replace sodas with diet sodas. That is, this is common, unfortunately, but that is not a good practice in our opinion and based on the research. And then the second thing is, in terms of breastfeeding, there is transmission. We've shown, we've done the first studies to show that what you are eating and drinking whilst nursing can pass into to breast milk. And the same is true for sugar. We've shown that. Again, no say you can't have sugar whilst you're nursing, but some of it is going to be transmitted, especially the fructose to cut down on the juices in particular, which are assigned fructose. So, you know, briefly to answer your question, it is problematic. There is transmission in the placenta, in breast milk of both sugars and alternative sweeteners that can have the impact. But yeah. again, it's not to say you can't have it because I'm not here to tell pregnant women what to eat or not to eat. I'll, yeah. That's a very kind of sensitive issue I know. And also having been pregnant twice, I feel like sometimes I didn't recognize myself in terms of what I felt like eating suddenly. I think yeah. I never would have wanted to eat. Like suddenly I wanted a milkshake, which wouldn't have appealed to me before because I don't tolerate dairy products too. Suddenly I just needed this vanilla milkshake and had to have it. And then you may have aversions too, to some things, healthy things that you usually might like, and then you don't want them and don't feel bad about any of this. There's a way if you have a particular craving, like for citrus, instead of choosing a big thing of orange juice, have a sliced, like peeled orange. Or if you're craving dairy products, maybe instead of having flavored yogurt, try the plain yogurt with some fruit on it or add a little bit of your own sweetener. Just things that you can do within reason to keep an eye on sugar, as Michael was saying. Yeah, I want I we often try and give give pregnant women swaps like hey, if this is what you're craving, it's okay to have that every once in a while. But if you're it's, it's not okay to have it every night. That's not going to be great for you. So maybe right. if this is something that you're craving, here is a great swap. And I think that that like the evidence that you guys are seeing is a great backup for those suggestions. One of the things that shocked me and I will say right now that I've been a low calorie sweetener person my entire life. And as when stevia came around, I'm like, oh my God, this healthy, all natural thing. This is wonderful. It's perfect. This is, and so I use that like throughout all three of my pregnancies. And then I read your book and I'm like, holy shit, oops. And so can you guys talk a little bit about low calorie sweeteners? Yeah. And this is a recurring issue, the oops issue. Tell people my mom smoked all the way through my pregnancy and smoked all the way through while she was nursing me. Okay, so these things happen. <laughs> Oops, yeah, the science changes. The Romans used lead acetate as a sweetener, and then we found out about lead poison. So, you know, 
it's a constantly evolving field and there's no guilt, no shame when new knowledge emerges. And in terms of stevia or monk fruit, which is the new one, go to the grocery store and there's everywhere monk fruit and everything. So because they can be labeled as natural, but sugar is natural too. So there's really not a big issue, not a big differentiation. And the reality is we, they're so new that we don't have a lot of specific information. Has anybody done a study on stevia in pregnancy and what happens to those kids 30, 40, 50 years later? It's it's so difficult to study. And also nowadays, these sweeteners are used in combination. Stevia is often used with other sweeteners, with erythritol or with sucralose. So knowing specifically what's going on, it's just going to be so hard to tease apart that it's going to make it very difficult to know for sure. But there's uncertainty there and there's known effects just on principle. We know that these compounds activate sweet taste receptors throughout the body, that they don't resolve craving for food, that they increase uh, brain reward activity, especially in women who are overweight. So again, some of these effects may be different and different segments of the population. It's hard to really know. So it just, it's enough, to me, it's another argument of, okay, just keep it simple and go natural. What, why use stevia? Just use a bit of natural fruit juice to sweeten something. Can't be bad. We're going to take a quick break so I can tell you about the Juna app, the app that makes this podcast possible. Juna is the premier app for every stage of motherhood with a 12-week trying-to-conceive plan and workouts, key nutrition information for every week of pregnancy and postpartum, plus six full video courses on birth prep, breastfeeding, newborn care, infant sleep, sleep from four to 12 months, and starting solids. The app is designed to be your number one companion from trying to conceive through your baby's first year of life. It also includes daily diaphragmatic breathing exercises, pelvic floor prep, daily tips, and notes from me that are relevant to the exact things you are experiencing. These are so helpful for easing any fears and preventing the dreaded gestational Google mania, that sickness where you can't stop Googling every little thing that happens during pregnancy. Juna is available for both iOS and Android. Just search Juna in the App Store or go to juna.co. Again, that's juna.co. The app is completely free to try for seven days, and if you decide it's not right for you, you can cancel any time within the first week. No questions asked. Download Juna today and get started. Now, back to the show. And so is I think one of the things that I have curiosity over is you guys take a universal no low-calorie sweeteners for kids. Is that because there is no evidence on, like, what the impact of what it has on them because we ha- we haven't studied it for long enough or is it because like you've seen the evidence and in the short term and it, it's just no give them fruit <laughs> well i hate to quote don rumsfield on this that the known unknowns and the unknown unknowns but it's like that there's there, there's some known adversities and then there's some unknown adversities there's just lack of information and that lack of information coupled with the known information made us to, to, to go down that path. And instead we, and it's an easy substitute, right? It's such an easy thing to do and feels good potentially, but we challenge ourselves and said, no, we don't need an easy substitute. Let's think of creative ways that we can sweeten things without 
added sugar and without an alternative sweetener. And that's fundamental basics of the recipe that Emily developed and Emily can add to that. So that's just what we chose to do, partly because of the, those effects and partly because of taste, frankly, because for many people, these sweeteners just don't taste as good. So why would we bring kids up on foods that are sweetened with things that don't taste good? Yeah. <laughs> What's the point? What's the yeah. point? But for our recipes, we challenge ourselves to sweeten things with just whole and dried fruits. But if you're going to make a standard recipe that's not one of ours, we'd rather just use less of regular sugar and maybe add to the nutritional value of the recipe by adding a little bit more fiber or protein to it, for example, rather than bake brownies with monk fruit or bake brownies with stevia or whatever. And Got it. Because the end result, at least Michael and I would probably agree on this is that we don't like the taste as much and I think a lot of people are in that same boat yeah okay so that's interesting I think so what I'm hearing is the most of the recipes in your book are are sweetened with fruit or dried fruit or like unsweetened dried fruit but if I were to like what I where I got lost is in is I'm like okay so which sweeteners are better than so I always sweeten things with maple syrup instead of regular sugar like for the for my for my kids and when the baking that we would do and because I thought maple syrup or honey because those were the only two that like were better are they not (laughs) There are some slight advantages. You have some micronutrients and you may end up using less of them. And they have a more complex flavor profile, which can be more enjoyable. In terms of their composition, they're not that much different. Again, sucrose, table sugar. Some of the natural sweeteners, however, do have a less favorable composition. One of them is agave. So agave can be up to 90% fructose. And as we explain in the book, fructose, too much fructose has a whole range of effects, both on the ability of the child's ability to digest that, but then also the longer term potential effects on liver. It's totally, do I have honey in my kitchen? Yes. Do I have maple syrup? Yes. Do I have brown sugar? Yes. Is there coconut sugar? Yes. So there's they're less processed, slightly favorable, still added sugars. I still use them. We still have them in our kitchen. And okay. if you had to, that's not it. They're still they're favored added sugars, but they're still added sugars. Got it. Okay. Yeah, and I have them too. And I and what I noticed too is you can play around a lot. So if you're using a standard recipe online, it calls for a cup of maple syrup. You might actually enjoy it with half a cup. Yeah, yeah. That we can play around and find ways to to reduce the amount of sugar. Yeah, it's the I try. I go as hard as I possibly can until my kids won't eat it, and then I do slightly above it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I think <laughs> that's a great strategy. You, you you can gradually reduce it till you titrate it to the right level, or you mm-hmm. can knock it out and increase it enough so that you get to the sweet spot. And these preferences are malleable. They can be modified, which is what the seven day no added sugar challenge is all about. And part of the reason why you get that pushback on something, if you suddenly go from something sweetened with a cup of sugar to half a cup, if you're so used to having high sweetened things, it's not going to taste good. And that's why you have to I'd like gradually reduce it or just take it out and do the consequences of two days of miserableness yeah, um, with no sugar at all. And then you can basically reboot the system. Yeah. It's, so I'll give you guys this caveat. I have thought that I, I like 
that I have been feeding my family very well. Sugar, like processed food, all that stuff is very resonant in my mind. My husband is a type one diabetic, so we're very conscious of sugars. Mm. But reading your book, I then had different, like I then approached labels differently because I think like, I I don't know that I just wasn't looking at the added sugar. I was looking at the, t- and I just, I wasn't looking at food labels the way that you had suggested to. And, and I like went into our snack cabinet and I'm horrified, like absolutely horrified at like, some of the health foods that I thought we were feeding our kids. Mm. And, and so I guess what is your, for, cause I, look, I have three young kids and running a business and, and a family. And I, like would love to make homemade granola bars every week, but like that might not be available to me and a lot of people listening. So is there a way, do you have, do you have a, some favorite packaged like goods that you're like, these are great. There's not a lot of added sugar or if for, I'll use Lara bars as an example, these ones really confuse me because I'm like, they're sweetened because they're dates. It's not date syrup. It's just date. Is that count as a whole fruit or yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's really tricky. Yeah, and, you know, sometimes I do buy the Lara bars for my boys when we're in the States. But what I do is I choose to buy the mini ones. Overall, depending on the age, a whole bar can be a lot for a very young child, especially if a large component of the bar is dried fruit. Yeah, but the small ones are great. And then you could combine it with a savory snack item that they like some nuts or seeds or we have some chickpea snacks in our book that and you can buy those off the shelf too cheese or olives or there's for families that like that do eat meat there's some meat like grass-fed meat snacks that a lot of our readers enjoy just balancing things and having some of the sweeter things and then maybe mixing in some other savory options can be good too yeah. But it's a good discovery that you made. And the uh, labeling of the added sugars is pretty new. That was just introduced a year or two ago. So food labels didn't have to differentiate the added sugars. So like in a yogurt, there's the natural sugars and then there's sugars added. So that differentiation is helpful. So then it's something that you can do. And there's some products that you can swap out that wouldn't may have a big impact, peanut butters or salad dressings, ketchups, crackers, things like that. Bars are tough because, you know, they have, the, most of them will have some added sugar. The, the dates is our approach. Again, it's a whole food. It's a fruit used as a natural source of sweetness. The other one is the Scout Bar. And scout Bar is okay. Which are smaller, like that size and yep. kind of designed for little people because a lot of these bars are designed for big people and not specifically for her. I want to take a quick second to tell you a little about the Core Restore program that's part of the Juna app. If you have a mom pooch, lower back pain, pelvic pain, urinary incontinence, balance issues, or just generally feel like you can't regain your strength in your core, then Core Restore is for you. The Core Restore program was developed by Katie Hunter to help you safely and correctly heal your pelvic floor issues. These are the same moves she works on with me in her office that I pay a pretty penny for per session. You can get it all in the app as part of your subscription and your first seven days are free. Simply search for Juna in the app store and download the Juna app to get started today. On that, which I found so sad and fascinating is the fact that there, that the, there's no recommend, the, the recommendation is the same for a two-year-old as it is an 18-year-old for a daily amount of sugars. And you're like, I mean, that is mind-blowing. And so 
what I have a one, three and a five-year-old, like what is the amount of like daily grams that I should be targeting for my kids of sugar to keep it under? So you only have prime numbers in both. <laughs> exactly. Uh, we have a yeah, table so- in the book. So under two, the recommendations are no added sugar. No added sugar. And then from there, it starts at about three teaspoons. And depending on boy or girl, we give these recommendations that Michael has made that are very similar to what's recommended by the World Health Organization. And it scales up so from three to seven teaspoons spoons depending on at maximum depending on age and gender yeah but that recommendation the guy had the same reaction when i saw it because i'm in the business of doing research and this is from the american heart association and mm-hmm. equivalenting a two-year-old with an 18-year-old in terms of recommendations makes zero sense yeah yeah and uh, the other thing i'll say just to add to that is although we have those recommendations they recommendations so that's not to say that I'm not recommending that you go around counting every single gram of sugar and everything you eat. That's just not going to be productive and could backfire. I think the issue is just knowing in your mind what the recommendations are approximately. So you have that number in your mind when you're at the grocery store and you pick up the yogurt and the yogurt has 12 or 15 grams of added sugar per pot. You say, oh, that's as much as the daily recommendation for my three-year-old or whatever. Yeah. So you're like, okay, I need to find another one with less. So it's, that's the kind of use that we're looking for, not to just, I just still think it's productive. It's like calorie counting will backfire. Yep. Potentially the same effect can happen. Yeah. It's interesting what's happened with our family with, with yogurt is when I saw how much daily, like how much added sugar was in yogurt, I stopped buying, like I bought plain and then my kids stopped, stopped, they stopped eating the yogurt altogether. And so now we just don't have yogurt and it's been a challenge to say the least, but, but I'm fine with my kids not eating yogurt because I think dairy wasn't really sitting well with any of them anyway. So we have a recipe where you can just add some pureed fruit, or if you do like to have yogurt for your kids, blending it with fruit and putting it into popsicle molds can be really useful because that kind of sweetens all of it, but with a more natural form of sweetener that includes fiber as well or there's some clary plant milk yogurts available now like a coconut milk yogurt mm-hmm. and for example we have a recipe that we posted for valentine's day that was a yogurt bark raspberry yogurt bark recipe i love i, I really and love use that yogurt. with coconut, coconut milk yogurt, yogurt. It's so it's good. my favorite yeah, yeah i agree there's some with very minimal added sugar in there or none. Some have none at all. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think I'll need to check those recipes out. <laughs> I have, so I, one of my last questions, and then I want, I want you guys to go through some of the, you have seven strategies for sugar proofing, but my, my one question, I think this is what I struggle with the most is I grew up in a family that, that like what same as me, we had a very healthy house. We didn't have junk food in, we didn't have sugary cereals. And my mom, I remember she always just say garbage in, garbage out. And then like I developed like an obsession with sugary food so that when my, when I was out at friends' houses, I'm like, you have Oreos, I want Oreos or whatever. And I think like I have a lot of friends that also have that experience too. And so I have been very conscious over trying to make sure that we don't put, put foods on like in a way so that they're he- like they have a healthy approach and mindset around food and nothing is better than the other. 
But I think as I've tried to sugarproof our house, I almost have swung too far and I don't want my kids, I want my kids to have a healthy relationship with all food. And one of the things that I think that your book did a good job with is, and which my mom did not do a good job with, was talking about how the food impacts your body and how you feel. Like, yeah. like maybe, and I, that I, so we talk a lot about that with our kids is does your, did your tummy hurt after you ate that? And so making those connections, like I, do you, how has this come up in a lot of your research, but with the relationship to sugar? Just everything you just said is so important not to overly restrict kids. And we give easy ways, as you said, to, to address that. So you never want to put something on a pedestal and make them feel like they can't have it because exactly like you said, they're just going to want to even more. And that's, also, you don't want to make kids afraid of eating what their friends are eating or having something that's served at a friend's house or a party. So just about striking that balance. And like you said, having that conversation about how you eat is how you feel. And so, for example, my kids oftentimes are given sweets when they come out of school, if it was someone's birthday, like a little thing of gummy bears. So they know they can have some of those gummy bears, but not until they've eaten it, like a snack that will actually satisfy their hunger and make them feel good. And then they can have a few gummy bears. And we give some tricks, try and time sweets for after meals. They're not having them on an empty stomach. And then they could still have what they were given, but it's just being wise about the timing of it. No, that makes sense. And then do you, there's obviously different ways, like age appropriate ways to talk to your kids. Do you have recommendations for how to talk to your younger kids? Because that is what most of our audience has. Yeah, I could convey the same message. I think when, when the kids are really little, there's, it's everything think that they're eating is what you've given and they don't really know a lot about the other options. You know, if you're having a, we get lots of questions about what about for my one-year-old's birthday party? Should I give like a regular cake or sugar-proof cake? Ultimately, it's just one day out of the year, so no biggie. But I think the more that you can delay introducing some of these things, if they're not asking for them, if they are asking for them, then just say, yes, we can have some of that maybe after dinner or not vilifying any of the foods that are offered to them yeah and I think just talking about okay yes you can have some first let's have this yeah and just kind of raising your kids to to model their eating along the lines of how you would be eating like you're not going to feel good if you wake up first thing and have a cookie your one-year-old or two-year-old is not going to feel great if they do either <laughs> yeah yeah and the other thing to do is hard to do in younger kids but gets easier as they get a little older, but it's, it's to look for the intrinsic motivators and avoid the extrinsic motivators. You use food as a reward or money as a reward, things like that. That's probably not good in the long run. And try to find out whatever age they are, what motivates them. Of course, for a two-year-old, that's going to be tough. For a three-year-old, tough. By the time kids are three, four, five, there may be some things that they might Reson that might resonate with them internally. Or are they strong? Or they want to run fast? Or they want to be able to climb higher on the play structure or something like that? They eat well. Yeah, we do. We do a lot of that with my son. We're like, he talks about getting big and strong, and we're like, you know how to do that? Is uh, that cookie's not going to help you get there? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Uh, okay. Do you guys want to talk about like at a high level some of the strategies that you have for doing this at home? Sure. So you mentioned our chapter seven, the seven strategies. So the first one on our list is breakfast. So we talk a lot about the sugar roller coaster and how if you have something sweet first thing in the morning, that puts you on this ride where your blood sugar goes up and then your body dispatches insulin to compensate, then you have a crash and then you crave 
more sweets to be able to help kids stabilize their blood sugar and also stabilize their mood and their energy levels throughout the day. You want to have a sugar-proof style breakfast, which includes some protein and fiber and limited added sugar when possible. That's our first one. And the second one is looking at drinks. So ditching and reducing the added, the liquid sugar, slowly working on eliminating juice and not having sodas in the house and coming up with solutions for things that popular, like chocolate milk or energy drinks, things like that. Yeah, that one was a, like a, I hate, but I'm just like, I don't know if it's because my mom, like juice was a luxury. Like that was not something we had in the house. I had a question though on liquid beverages because the, the one thing that we didn't cover and I'll just quickly say it, but your stance on fruit is that you can have fruit. Fruit is fruit does not count as added sugar as long as it has the fiber, like that the fruit is intact, you're great. So my question around liquids is smoothie because I, from my, and maybe I just have a different understanding, but w when you're having a smoothie, they're like, smoothie like kind of tears the fiber away from the sugar so is that almost like having a juice i've heard people talk about that but i actually haven't seen great evidence and i think it's a little, little kind of not clear because okay. it might depend on which fibers how, how much it was blended and i don't really think it's productive or okay. useful to get down to that Great. Get into the weeds that deep. Plus, if you are concerned about it, anytime I have a smoothie or give a smoothie to my kids, I would just add in a couple tablespoon of flax or chia. Mm -hmm. if, if you're worried about it, just add more. Okay, so smoothies are good. We're good smoothies with smoothies. We're good with smoothies. Uh, the only thing is, look out for commercial smoothies because commercial smoothies, like you buy at the store, yeah. often have a lot of fruit juice concentrates and. Yeah. To not to use fruit juice as the base is that kind of defeats the purpose. So if you're blending fruit with milk or a plant milk, or even just with the liquid generated by the fruit itself or mm -hmm. ice or whatever, that's totally fine. And it's a beautiful thing because you can doctor veggies. it up. You can, <laughs> you, you can sneak it up. You can doctor it up whichever way you want, whatever you're trying to get more of fibers, greens. Great. If it's not sweet enough, okay, a drop or two of honey, not a problem. We're not you're you're not nickeling and diming little drops of honey the here or the other. That's okay. Productive. Okay. All right, that's helpful. Okay. Sorry. There right. are some some parents that ask us when well, my my kid will eat unlimited fruit. Like they'll just eat half a melon and a whole cup of berries and two bananas all you know on breakfast. And at a certain point you probably want to space some of that out because yeah. even though the fruit does contain fiber and a lot of vitamins and minerals, that can still be a lot for a young body to to handle. So spacing out fruit is a good strategy. And then also you think about the thing with a smoothie is if you're making it at home and the base isn't juice and it's got good stuff in it and you've added some fiber and protein, usually it's pretty good. However, there are some kids that will just drink or they would have three smoothies in a row if you give it. And so you might want to think in that case about maybe serving a smaller size smoothie or freezing the smoothie into pop mm -hmm. would be a really good strategy because then it lasts longer. Yep. Yeah. So okay. thank you for clarifying that. Was, I Source was... of protein is also good with a mm -hmm. protein powder or even a dollop of yogurt. Yeah. yeah. Okay. All right. So that's number two is no liquid calories, no liquid sugar. Right. Just mean okay. the liquid sugar. And the third one is avoiding fructose. Um, Michael, do you want to summarize that one? Such great. Yeah. I mean, it's kind of related. Research. Yeah. Kind of related to what we're just talking about because fructose is, well, 
It's confusing because it is the natural sugar in fruit, like apples. Most of the sugar in apples is fructose. But fructose is a very interesting, different type of sugar. It's not used directly for energy. Uh, and we weren't really designed to be consuming a lot of it all at once. So like apple juice, for example, might have the fruit juice from three apples, and which is very high in fructose, higher than high fructose corn syrup, which most people know to run away from. What if I told you that apple juice is even higher in fructose than high fructose corn syrup? Which it is. I mean, you've shown that. And fructose is, especially under those conditions, when you drink, when you can, nobody's eating three apples all at once. Yeah. But you can easily gulp that down in five minutes from a glass of apple juice after sports or even at breakfast time. And under those conditions, all that fructose, first of all, it might not be absorbed because we don't have the capacity for absorbing fructose, in which case it's going to cause tummy problems. If it is absorbed, it goes straight to the liver, and the liver makes fat out of it, literally. And that process is pro-inflammatory. That can lead to buildup of fat in the liver, which can destroy the liver in the same way that alcohol does, And which sounds like an extreme thing to say, but it's true metabolically. And, and those fats that are made then go into this can go into the circulation and cause increase in blood lipids, which is mainly high cholesterol, which is what you get measured as risk for heart disease. So those are all not good things and they all come from fructose. So multiple reasons, that's just the tip of the iceberg, really why fructose in particular, not just high fructose corn, fruit sugars, fruit juices, fruit juice concentrates. These are all fructose-based sugars that should be avoided. Yeah. All right. <laughs> okay. So do you want to keep moving down the list? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. So number four is use snacks to your advantage. Snack is kids are objectively hungry at certain points of the day that are in between meals. Like when they come out of school in the afternoon, it's not quite time for dinner. And they're usually objectively hungry. They've been at school for the whole afternoon. And so that's a great window there where you can offer something healthy and they'll probably be interested in that because they're hungry. So if you give them something sweet, all that does is just rev, raise their blood sugar and ends up revving up their appetite to eat more sweets. But so if you can see that chance as something to offer something that's more balanced, almost like a little mini meal, then it's definitely using that to your advantage. Or if they're really hungry and you're at home and you're making dinner and they want dinner now, you can offer the vegetable component of the dinner almost like a snack. Mm -hmm. There's an, like an appetizer and that helps a lot. They get something to eat, but it's also like the healthy component of their dinner. Yeah. I like that. Yeah. And then number five is choose sweet treats wisely. Having, like we talked about before, trying to time sweets for having them after a meal is a good one. And then helping kids pick if there's a whole buffet of sweets at a party and they're overwhelmed. They want all of them. You can say, okay, choose one or two that you most want. And then all, there's always going to be another chance to have these other things. We don't have to have them all today. We can have some of these next time. And that works really well for my kids. It's okay. We're going to have one treat max per day. What, what is your choice for today? <laughs> yeah. And whatever we don't have today. Cause sometimes all these things come home from school. They come, they come home from parties with these things. 
where it's the holidays and there's a lot of stuff in the house. They go to grandma's house. So if they've already had something sweet at grandma's, then we're not going to have something else. The general rule that works well for us. And number six is set guidelines for major culprits. If you have not having sodas, for example, in your house or not having juice in your house, that's a great way to go about it. So that if they're going to have those things, maybe it's when you're out as a special treat. And then number seven is work a menu like a pro. So we give some tips. Sometimes the kids menu is the most difficult one to navigate because it's got like a sweet drink and a dessert built in and you might not want your kids to have that. So sometimes, for example, if my kids are going to have a kid's meal, I'll have them share one kid's meal and then we'll order another side dish or two, or they'll just order off the adult menu and split it. Or we'll just order side dishes or we'll order family style. And then just knowing what some of these foods are that, that maybe don't seem so sweet, but are actually really sweet. Some Chinese dishes, some of the sweet and sour or oyster sauce or things like that can be really sweet and you might not realize it. Yep. It's, it's so funny that you mentioned the kids menu items like usually come with a treat and then a drink. And I, but we, we managed to not have the kids like eat fast food for, I don't know, five years, like my son's like first four years of life. And then, but it, I, I just made this mistake yesterday. I took my daughter out for lunch and I got her a, we went to veggie grill and, and all of a sudden her meal comes and I'm like, oh my God, we have two Oreo cookies here. And she just had an apple juice. And I already yeah. know that I shouldn't be like all these things. <laughs> and then she drank the apple juice before the meal came out. And mm. then the meal came out and she didn't eat a single bite of her thing. And it became a war over the cookies. And I was just mm. like, I have failed today. <laughs> like It was so tricky, isn't it? It yeah. is tricky. And I like, I think those are really good. I also, as soon as when I was sitting there, I was like, you should have been like, we don't need, we don't need, there's no need for a drink. There's no need for the cookies. Don't, like, don't, like, just because she's at least young enough where she doesn't know it was coming. It just happened to be a surprise. And so I right. think trying to exercise thinking ahead on those kinds of things. Yeah. It's, it happens to all of us moms. And you don't know it's coming your way until it arrives at the table. Exactly. Yeah. It's tricky. And, and another thing about this is don't be hard on yourselves. This is more if it's like a regular place that you go and there's a way to creatively select stuff from the menu. Yeah. And this is super helpful. I think I will tell you, like reading your book over the last three weeks for me has been so eye opening. And I thought that I was like holding a healthy household. And I I like describe it. I'm like, this is really horrifying information that I'm reading. And it's horrifying to see what's the epidemic of sugar in our culture and the impacts that it's having on families, kids. And then we like our children, like, this is going to be a future problem. And so your work is so important and I just right. hope that people will listen to our podcast, go and get your book because you guys touched on a little bit of it, but the science that you go in the first five chapters, like I was like, oh my God, I know more about sugar than I like ever thought there was to know about the 200 different type, like types of sugars and just then how bad all of it is. And that's not to say that you can enjoy sweet treats, but I think like we have become a people that consume things way too much. <laughs> Yeah. And we hope that for those of you that read our book, we hope that you end up feeling not just horrified, but empowered. I'm getting to those chapters. <laughs> it's not part because that's the last thing we don't want to free people out. Just helping give some ideas for how to navigate the food environment, but then also to just naturally displace some of these processed sweet foods with other things that your kids will come to enjoy. Mm -hmm. Enjoying healthy, easy recipes, things that they can help make, things that they can help select that become, it's like, helping them build life skills for choosing healthy eating down the road. Yeah. Cause it preserving their health in the process. Yeah. And I think like you guys do a good 
job too is like is talking about the intrinsic motivation but i think like at some point your kid is not going to be in your under your control they'll have money outside of the house and they need to be equipped with the tools to not go and buy a candy bar because that's just what they want or because you've restricted that there's exactly and so you got to lay the groundwork early and and teach them their own skills because there's a reason freshman 15 in college happens and that's kids are like here we go I have no idea how to feed myself (laughs) yeah there's lucky charms every day exactly at dinner too it's not going to be perfect that that those things will happen there's going there's a lot we've talked about and we're on ground to cover not all it's not all going to happen at once you don't have to tackle it all at once you can choose one thing this week and another thing a later week and just make one day at a time, one one change at a time is all you need. Yeah, it's very approachable. So thank you so much for doing all of the work and putting it all into your book. Why don't you tell people where they can find you? Yeah, the book is available anywhere that sells books, like in bookstores or online, Amazon, book depository and all the rest of it. So anywhere online and in all formats, hardback, paperback, audio, Kindle, etc. Yep. And on Instagram, that's our main social media platform uh, at Sugarproof Kids, which is also the same handle on Facebook. Okay. So yeah, join us on Instagram and messages. Tell us what you want more of, what you've liked, what's working. You can find our recipes. We have we have recipes in the book, but also for additional recipes, our website at sugarproofkids.com. Okay. Yeah, because there's actually now more recipes on the website than there are in the book. Oh, awesome. But you should still get the book. Still get the book. You should. The book lays all of the foundation. So there's, it's great to go just get the recipes, but read the book. (laughs) You got to have that book. It's hopefully going to motivate you, Mm -hmm. provide inspiration and empowerment, as Emily mentioned, is going to come from that knowledge. Yep. That will hopefully inspire change. Yes. Thank you guys so much. I appreciate appreciate all your time. Thank you Thanks for having us on, Sarah. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks so much, Sarah. Appreciate it. Okay. That's all for today. If you liked today's episode, please share it with a mama friend and leave us a review. If you're pregnant, postpartum, or trying to conceive, you can download the Juna app completely free for seven days. The app is available for iOS and Android and is designed to be your guide for all things health and fitness for this very special time of your life. If you have any suggestions for episodes you would like to hear or anyone you think would be a great guest on the show, please email me directly at sarah at juna.co. Thank you so much for listening and I'll see you next week.